Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. Trust you're having a good week. It's a busy time for me. End of year stuff. Gear up for next year stuff. Just doing working on the calendar today. Good part of the day. You know, necessary things. So anyway, glad you're here tonight. We're in Philippians chapter 2. We want to look at verses 9 through 11. Three small verses. Probably get about 10 minutes out of this. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I really wanted that number one. I was waiting to see if it was in the repertoire here. But anyway, uh, yeah. Okay, let's pray together and then we'll get into our study. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble and uh, ask your blessing on our study. Also, uh, Awana, I know they're having glow night. Pray that you keep everybody safe and be a good time of sharing in that way. Also, youth group as it's ongoing. Uh, thank you for uh, all those involved in the study, the leaders in all of these ministries. Uh, so, Lord, use us as the word goes forth tonight. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, who's the ultimate teacher. Pray that you would uh, be working in our hearts as we study together now. And thank you for this uh, time to share with your people this evening. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we uh, note the outline here. And uh, we have worked our way down to uh, chapter 2, Rejoicing in Christ, Our Example. And uh, we're going to continue to emphasize that theme tonight. Uh, the... Uh, theme of the book is joy or rejoice in the Lord. And uh, he's very, very happy about this uh, church family. I mean, he's, you know, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Chapter one, verse three. And uh, so he's rejoicing in them and he's uh, rejoicing in the Lord, not his circumstances necessarily. And yet, it seems there's a little concern about the unity in the church. You know, we have a church fight going on, right, represented in the book, right? Where is it found? Chapter 4. Yeah, you got two women in the church. You know, you would think two women in the church, that couldn't cause too much of a disruption, right? Think again. Yeah, there's a little concern underlying there as far as uh, unity. And, uh, of course, the key to unity is what? A major key is humility, right? Humility. Pride gets in the way of unity. Uh, humility is very facilitating uh, to unity. And Christ, of course, is the ultimate example of humility. He humbled himself even to the death of the cross, as we saw last time, uh, to the utmost extent. So the greatest of all persons took upon the lowest of all positions. And now... In turn, he is exalted to the highest of all positions, as we will see in our study tonight. In fact, I've titled this, uh, The Exaltation of Christ. Last week, The Humiliation of Christ. Uh, tonight, The Exaltation of Christ. And uh, note here uh, what we're talking about. Uh, this whole section, we did half of it last week uh, through verse 8. But it really, chapter 2, 6 through 11 goes together as a unit. We see 6 through 8, emphasizing the humiliation of Christ. God became a humble man. And now tonight, uh, emphasizes the exaltation of Christ. As man, Christ was exalted to share in the glory of deity. I think that's the theme that's coming through here, as we will note tonight. And uh, one other point here. Uh, the greatest theological explanation and development of the incarnation. Incarnation, the idea of, of God becoming a man, 
the greatest explanation and development of the incarnation theme found in Jesus Christ is found in Philippians 2, 6-11. However, the intent of Paul in bringing this out is very practical, surrounding context, as he is using Christ as the ultimate example of humility, which is followed by the ultimate example of exaltation. And so that's really where we're going in our study tonight. And why don't we have somebody read? We just got three verses, so I guess it'll be short and sweet. But uh, somebody want to read verse 9? Yeah, Albert. Wow, this is a great verse. These are great verses. Love them. Uh, Therefore ties back to what he has just been emphasizing, which is, in context, what has he just emphasized? The humiliation of Christ. Exactly. Uh, The fact that he humbled himself. And so, because of this, God has highly exalted him. And we see this is kind of how it works in the economy of God. We humble ourselves and God exalts us. Humble self, God exalts. So, that's the tie here. That's the emphasis. Uh, God's way is first the way down and then the way up. And that's the emphasis here. And by the way, uh, certainly the example of Jesus Christ, but I, I love 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Again, humble yourself, God exalts. We, our job really is to humble ourselves. It's God's prerogative to exalt and, and, in, and if we do humble ourselves, I think God will exalt us in due time, as he says to those, those uh, saints, uh, those suffering saints that he's writing to in First Peter. Therefore, in light of the fact how Christ humbled himself, God also has highly exalted him, highly exalted him. Now, men despise Jesus Christ, Isaiah 53. I mean, they did not esteem him. They did not appreciate him. They did not value him. Uh, rejected him, but God exalts him. In fact, the last thing that wicked hands ever did to Jesus was put him on a Roman cross. Uh, Did anybody touch him after the resurrection? Did anybody touch him? Anytime. How about wicked hands? Nope. Wicked hands never touched him again. Those despising him, those rejecting him, They never touched him again after the resurrection. But they did before in his state of humiliation. Now God has highly exalted him. It's a new day after the resurrection. And uh, never again would he be touched by wicked hands ever again. He's highly exalted. The idea here is super exalted. Super exalted. Uh, The lowest has now been placed in the position of the highest. Highly exalted him. Well, we might ask ourselves, um, how exalted? And uh, I've got a series of uh, slides here. After his resurrection, Christ uh, came and spoke to them. And what did he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's pretty, pretty broad, vast authority, right? All authority? All authority. Sounds like a statement of deity. Right? Exactly. Um, the book of First Peter was written to the suffering saints, as I say. Christ is put forth as our great example. Peter stresses the pattern of suffering and then glory. 
Starts out chapter 1, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he, God, through the prophets, testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So there's the pattern, sufferings and then the glories. Suffering and then glory. That's the pattern that we see consistently in the New Testament. And then uh, note here, uh, the exaltation of Christ is the big idea in the book of Hebrews. It's not just a minor theme here, just slipped in here in Philippians. Christ is shown to be superior. Hebrews 1.3, uh, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the, at the right hand of the majesty on high. You don't get a, a, a greater position than this one. The right hand of the majesty on high. And then chapter 2, verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, his state of humility, uh, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. But there's the, the following. And following the suffering is the glory. And then Hebrews seven twenty six. such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Again, emphasis on exaltation. And finally, one more slide here. In Revelation 5, we see the lamb, and that's a lamb picture's humiliation, is now exalted in that he alone is worthy to take the scroll, which, which is essentially the title deed of the earth, and open it. And it says in Revelation 5, 4 and 5, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open to read the scroll to look at it. Nobody could take the title deed of the earth back for mankind. You know, we were talking about this last night in my discipleship. Uh, and it's kind of like, why did God create mankind? Why did he create mankind? There's two main reasons God created mankind. I'm sure we could add lots of reasons, but I'm thinking about two of them. Uh, number one, God created mankind to worship him. We were created to worship God. Uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Very first commandment. I mean, uh, he will be our God and we shall be his people. It says that in Revelation 21 at the end of the book. It's part of the new covenant. We recognize him as God. We worship him. Why else did God create mankind? Yes, to worship him, but he created us to serve him in some role. Right after we have the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, what did God say in reference to mankind? What was his job? Yeah, to have dominion. And it was an extensive dominion. Well, we got a major problem. That, that's what God intended. It's kind of like we are made in the image of God and, and God rules. Well, we're in the image of God. We're to rule for God. We're to have the dominion. Uh-oh, we got a fall that has come into place. And Satan wrested away from mankind. Now he says, you know, I, I now have control over all these uh, you know, kingdoms. I'm going to give them to whoever I want to, he said to Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. So um, now we got a problem. Nobody's worthy to take the scroll. There is no representative of mankind to really carry out what God intends in terms of mankind having dominion over the world. But it's not always lost. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And as we track the book through, as, as these seals are opened and it begins to bring forth judgments on them, it's a process of, of the Messiah 
taking back the world. It's the day of the Lord, expression of His Lordship, as He is taking back the kingdoms of this world, as we get to chapter 11 of Revelation. This is a study about Revelation tonight, but uh, I want to emphasize here uh, what has happened in the person of Jesus Christ as far as His exaltation. God has highly exalted Him as a human being, as our great representative, as Hebrews would say, as our brother, uh, to take back the world. He has exalted over it all, all the kingdoms of the world. God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name. Now, He made Himself of no reputation, as we saw back in verse 7. But now God has given Him a name which is above every name. Didn't make of himself any reputation, but God has. God has. This is what, what God has done. Given him the name. Uh, now, when you think about name, what, what is the significance of name? What's the concept of name? It's his person, right? It's who he is. Uh, given him the name, uh, representing his, his rank as the God-man. Giving him a special name that has significance. It signifies really who he is. And uh, as the God-man, he was in the lowest of positions, as we saw last week, but now God has exalted him to the highest of positions. Uh, Let me bring forth... Here really is the crux of what we're studying tonight. As God, he was always in the position of sovereign Lord. But then for a while, he set aside the visible manifestation of that glory and the independent use of his divine attributes, assuming the humble role of a servant. But now... Now as a man, as the God-man, Jesus has been exalted to the highest position in the universe. Jesus as God also became a man and assumed the lowest position in that role. But as a man now, flip side, the God-man, he is now exalted to the highest position. And that's what I want to emphasize with you and I think is being brought out in our text As a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ as man has now been exalted to the highest position in the universe. As God, he was always in that position, but not as a man. In fact, he started out in the lowest of positions as a man. But now that, that humanity has been exalted to share in the very glory of deity. Think of it. A man shares in the very glory of deity. That's how high Jesus Christ has been exalted as the God-man. Given him the name which is above every name. In other words, to say above every other person. Uh, No other human shares in this level of exaltation. Uh, He is exalted above all other names, above above all other persons. And uh, this is making a point here about the Incarnation. Uh, His humanity has been exalted functionally to the place where he is Lord over all. His humanity has been exalted to that position. And to show you all the more that that's true, we want to go to verse 10. But but any other thoughts before I go on to verse 10? Okay, let's uh, have somebody read verse 10 for us. Okay, very good. We're stopping mid-sentence there. But I want to focus on what it says here. That at the name of Jesus, every knee bows, heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Now, what kind of a name is Jesus? What do we usually say about 
the name Jesus. What kind of a name is it? Is it just a name? It could be. Yeah. What, what, what was the name in the Old Testament? Or Joshua, to bring it over into English. Yeah, Joshua. And so, yeah, it was used as, what was the meaning of the name? Yahweh is salvation. That's what it means literally. Yahweh is salvation. Uh, but we usually say the name Jesus is his human name. And why do we say that? Why do commentators say that? It's not just me that says that. It's commonly stated by commentators that the name Jesus is his human name. It was given to him upon his birth as a human being. Yeah. So that's why it's kind of connected with him, his, the incarnation, with him becoming man. And, and, and not only that, what does it mean? Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins, Matthew 121. Uh, he had to become a human in order to save his people from their sins. So that's why it's often referred to as his uh, human name. Uh, I think I've got it here. In fact, I, I, the whole context here. Uh, this is in keeping with the Old Testament prophecy, especially the servant sections in Isaiah. Uh, did I miss Matthew one twenty one? Maybe I did. I know I did quote it, but I had it up here too. Let me back up. No? We did that. Okay. Yeah, okay. We'll come to this. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've talked about this pretty much. Uh, let's see here. This is not the next verse for me. But anyway, um, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those uh, in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. So again, Jesus is the human name, but in that role of humanity, he has now been exalted. That's my point that I'm wanting to bring out, emphasizing the humanness of the, associated with this name. But now there's an exaltation of this name that was given to him on his, at his birth related to his humanity. Now that name, who he is as Jesus, the one who has become a human so that he might be the Savior of the world, that one has been exalted to the point where every knee should bow and every uh, of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. So this is something saying something great about this name. Uh, and that is that a human has been exalted to this position. There's something about that name. What is it? Well, it's just what I've explained to you. It's the, his exaltation uh, in that role of the Savior has been exalted to that point. And to what... Uh, and, well, that every knee should bow. Uh, what does the bowing of the knee signify here? Submission. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what else might we say? Honor? Worship. Very true. Uh, recognition of his sovereign authority. Uh, you know, worship is often connected with bowing in, in the scriptures. In fact, the word worship, one of the definitions is to bow before. And so we've got this idea here of worship, homage, 
uh, recognition of his sovereign authority. You bow before one who has authority. I mean, in some cultures, it's just a polite thing to do, too. But uh, here in this context, that every knee should bow of those in heaven. Uh, we got three classifications. Uh, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. Let's see if I, what I got. Oh, man, I'm out of order. See, this is where my Matthew 121 is. Let's go on here. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's look at this one first here. Uh, verses 10 and 11 are really a free-running quote from Isaiah 45. This is good to note. Uh, we work our way through it here. And God is speaking. Uh, Let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from the ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? There is no other God besides me, a, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. And then he says, look to me and be saved all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out from my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. Now again, this is a free-running quote, we believe, uh, quoted in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. But what I want you to see here, who, who is speaking here in Isaiah 45? Who are the Jews recognize as speaking here? Yahweh. And who is Paul applying it to in his free-running quote here in Philippians chapter 2? The Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Again, when you make that parallel and and that cross-reference there, very strong indicator in terms of the deity of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, Okay, Um, let's see here. These three classifications, yeah. Uh, Three realms are mentioned here. which in general probably have these main classifications of you. Of those in heaven, referring to saints and holy angels. Of those on the earth, referring to all people living on the earth at, that, at the time. And those under the earth, probably referring to the lost in Hades, fallen angels. Uh, three realms are, are described there uh, that will all bow. Everybody's going to be bowing. Uh, think of who you will. They're going to bow. You know, Hitler's going to be bowing. Um, I don't care who you mention all the despots of the world. They're all eventually going to bow before uh, Jesus. And that is in mid-sentence here. So let's uh, have somebody finish out here. Verse 11. Who wants to finish that? John? Okay. So note Jesus is Lord is the emphasis here. Jesus, this one who became a man so that he might be our Savior, has been exalted to Lord. Lordship emphasis here. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, everybody's going to get there eventually. Like I say, true believers do it now, right? Uh, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We as believers recognize Jesus Christ for who he is as Lord. But everybody's going to do it. Some are eventually going to do it out of capitulation, out of force. Um, They're they're too going to bow. All will ultimately be humbled. You know, I love this passage from Isaiah chapter uh, 2, which is talking about the day of the Lord. And it says, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Verse 11. Now, a few verses later, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down. The haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. 
Uh, coming day of the Lord is all about the Lord. Uh, he alone will be exalted in that day. And as you go along, ultimately every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, to confess means to agree with. Uh, it is to say the same thing. It's going to align with the truth of Christ's lordship. Not going to be in debate about the lordship of Christ on this day. Uh, everybody's in full agreement. Everybody's in full confession here. Uh, every tongue confess. <laughs> that will be something to see. What, what, some of these total hardened rebels, I mean, you're so hard, I'll never confess him. Yeah, you will. Uh, they'll be bowing. They'll be on their knees. They'll be confessing. There won't be any exceptions in that day. No argument at that time. No, 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 no. Uh, they'll all be confessing. And they're, they're confessing to this, this human. Not merely a human. The God-man. But a human. The one, Jesus. Uh, they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord means master. Ruler. One who has authority over. And... Uh, Whenever the word Lord, it is sometimes used as a polite address in the Scriptures, but after the resurrection of Christ, whenever the word Lord is used in reference to Jesus, it always denotes His deity, without exception. Um, he is the risen Lord. And uh, I like this Wycliffe here, this comment here. Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord is recognized as the first creed of the Christian church. And Wycliffe says, the lordship of Christ is the core of Christianity. I believe that's true. Uh, you need look no further than the Gospel of John, which has as its, its dominant theme, uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is where the whole of history is going. Everybody is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now, uh, some people sometimes say, well, you have to make Jesus Lord. You know, I, I really want to take issue with that. Nobody makes Jesus Lord except God the Father, right? The issue is this. Are you going to recognize Him for who He is? Or are you going to reject Him for who He is? But nobody makes Him Lord. He just flat out is Lord. <laughs> and the issue is, are you going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you going to call on the name of the Lord? That becomes the ultimate issue. Uh, so it's a matter of belief. That's what I'm saying. It's a matter of faith. Uh, sometimes people want to say, well, lordship is a works concept. Where do you get that in the scriptures? It's a faith concept. That's the issue. Uh, John chapter 20 builds the climax of the book. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Thomas, you're into a work salvation. Get behind me. Is that what he said? No, 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 no. He didn't say that. He says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. What did he believe? My Lord and my God. My sovereign authority. My God, the supreme one over me. He says, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I'm in that category. I haven't seen like Thomas, but I believed. And then Acts 16.31. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Your what's the context of what's going on here? Acts 16. You know the story, right? Paul and Silas in prison. Darkest, deepest part of the prison they're singing praises to their God. And what happens? Well, yeah, but before that, the jailhouse rock, right? I mean, that's no small thing. 
I mean, it was such a traumatic event in the life of this jailer. He's ready to commit suicide, right? And uh, so he comes out there, and they said, do thyself no harm. We're all here. He says, what must I do to be saved? I mean, he's getting to feel this is a God, this is a God event. And, and they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think's in his mind when they say that? This, this place has just been shaken to the foundation. Who's, who's sovereign over that? The Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, they spoke to him the word of the Lord. What Lord? They're talking about who Jesus is to this guy. As well as what he's done. His, his person and his work always go together. But uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a context there. And you'll be saved. And then Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the, the Lord Jesus. That's who he is. Lord Jesus means Savior. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. By the way, resurrection is always associated with his lordship. Uh, he is declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead, by the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 1. Uh, and you'll be saved. So, it's part of salvation to recognize him for who he is. It's a matter of faith in the New Testament. You can't be saved if you don't recognize Jesus Christ as your personal Lord, as well as your personal Savior. It's a matter of faith. And you say, well, I still think it's works. Well, let me share with you a little more. Uh, acknowledgement of Christ as Lord in the New Testament is seen as a matter of faith. It's a matter of grace. 1 Corinthians twelve three: uh, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you really come to this... Now, you can say it and not mean it. Matthew says, many will say, Lord, Lord, and you'll say, I never knew you, right? You can be a total hypocrite about it. But to really acknowledge Him, to really recognize Him from your heart as Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. You can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit. You never see the truth of this and embrace it apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Nobody ever gets this on their own. That's why I say it's a matter of grace. It's a matter of God working. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But again, this happens uh, uh, as a matter of the Holy Spirit working in us. One more thing about this whole idea that Jesus Christ is Lord, it, it really has a lot to do with Him's authority, even ultimately as judge. A key idea in the concept of Lord is that of judge, which is a part of the exaltation experienced by Christ as the God-man. Paul quotes Isaiah 45, uh, 23 in Romans 14.11, to show the accountability of believers, but the application relates to all people. Romans 14.11, as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to God. He's getting that from Isaiah 45. As it is written, he's quoting Old Testament out of Isaiah 45. Uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess to God. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 14.12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And then Jesus says in John 5, 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. He's in that absolute position of authority over all, to whom all will one day give an account. Well, he concludes here, verse 11, by saying, To the glory of God the Father. All of this is going to take place to the, to the glory of God the Father. God the Father is glorified in this exaltation because, frankly, it is God's doing. God is the one who brings it about. I love these verses uh, here in Psalm 8, 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Uh, he was rejected, despised, put down, 
but he's become the chief cornerstone, the most important uh, player in the whole thing. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And it is for us as believers. We look how God has done this. What an amazing uh, reality. This amounts to a preview of what is seen in the book of Revelation, what we see in Philippians chapter 2 here. Uh, we saw how he will take the title deed of the, the earth. He is worthy. And then verse 11 and 13 through 13, I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, they're getting noisy, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And every creature, every one of them, every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, those are the same three categories we got there in verse 10, right? Yeah. Every creature, heaven, on earth, under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Uh, Heaven is exalting the Lamb at this point, in a great way. Paul has uh, just covered some of the deepest theological truth on the incarnation of the New Testament. However, his purpose is very practical in nature, which is to use the example of Christ to correct a partisan spirit and a spirit of selfishness in the saints. He dealt with that earlier in chapter 2. Paul wants us to see the mind of Christ and apply it to ourselves. The example of Christ is that the way up is the way down. If we are to have God exalt us, we must humble ourselves. Once you're in the kingdom family, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must humble yourself and learn to be the servant of all. Uh, I'm sure I got a long ways to go here. I'm very sure of it. But Jesus says here, Matthew 20, Jesus called them to himself and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Christ, again, is the ultimate example. And then finally, I conclude with this. I like this from the unknown author. They say the best things, though, those unknown ones. Uh, Master, where shall I work today? My love flowed warm and free. He pointed out a tiny plot and said, tend that for me. I answered quickly, oh, no, not there. Not anyone could see, no matter how well my task was done. Not that little place for me. His voice, when he spoke it, was not stern. He answered me tenderly, little one, search that heart of thine. Are you working for them or me? Nazareth was just a little place, and so was Galilee. (laughs) I love that line. I often think of it. Nazareth was a little place. And so was Galilee. Who in the world do I think I am? One in a big place. Uh, you know, wherever God gives us, it's the place that he has God, God has given us. And if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, in due time he'll exalt us. You know, he'll do that. We just need to walk humbly before him, follow the example of Jesus Christ. And, and I think this is key to uh, good relations even in the body of Christ. When we all have that mind of Christ, thinking about others uh, before ourselves and, and humbling ourselves, God can do mighty things in and through us for his glory. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? 
Okay, well, very good. Let's uh, share some prayer items here. Uh, prayer sheets, anybody? Uh, Albert's coming.